first reading is from Psalm 139, verses 1 to 10. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. The word of the Lord. Let's now stand for the gospel reading. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. At the eyes of this, all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. O God, take our lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and fill them with love for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. It is truly a delight and a joy for me to be with you, Little Trinity, especially today being a momentous occasion and also to celebrate Father's Day for all of the dads in the room and for the dads who aren't in the room uh, that we get to celebrate uh, all the men who have helped to shape us and helped to form us and helped us to be the people we are. And I'm also conscious that on Father's Day, this may be the first time that you are without your dad. And if that is true for you, um, our deep prayers and condolences are with you this year. And we also recognize that sometimes our relationships with a father is not an easy one, sometimes fraught with difficulty. And if that is true for you, we hope that you are fully graced by this worship experience and find healing. It's wonderful to be here with your incumbent, the Reverend Canon Tim Houghton. And, and Tim, I am so grateful for your leadership. As I said at 9 o'clock, you have such a wonderful, authentic faith in Jesus that is magnetic, and you have a way of being able to share that and draw a people together to share in the ministry that we are all called to. You are such a gift. After the last couple of years of pandemic, the hard labor that you have done on behalf of this congregation is simply stellar, and I'm grateful for you.
And as I said at the earlier service, Orban is in the back. He's celebrating his first Father's Day. Orban, you have jumped in with your whole being in ministry and embodied what it means to be a pastor and a leader in a time of disruption and change. And you do so with such joy. You are a gift. Thank you. And while our clergy are really important, more important still are you. When you say yes to your baptismal covenant, Christ is made known. When you say yes to your baptismal covenant, and you say yes in offering your time, your talent, and your treasure to the endeavor of the gospel and for the gathered community, the church comes to life and serves the world as Christ calls us to serve. And you are such a gift since 1842. I love how you just simply say that on the front cover of your bulletin. Since 1842. Since 1842, a community has been gathering under the banner of Little Trinity. And in those early days, to be as inclusive as possible for those who could not afford few rentals at the cathedral. From the very first part of your DNA is to pull and gather all people in and to worship and give praise to God since 1842 in a building that has stood here since 1844, one of the oldest church buildings in Toronto. And if you could imagine if the walls of this old building could talk, what they might say about generations of believers coming through those front doors, sometimes burdened, sometimes light, coming in to worship God, to know God, to be known by God. If, if the pews could speak of the weight they have borne up over more than one generation, two generations, three, of ordinary people just like yourselves, bringing your joys and your hurts and your sorrows and your wonderment, or if the few kneelers could speak of all the prayers that you have offered to God on your behalf and on behalf of those you love and perfect strangers. Or if you could just open the prayer book and see how all those old pages stick together because they have been wetted by tears of believers over generations, some with joy at a wedding and some in sorrow at a funeral since 1842. Week by week by week, a community coming together and saying yes to their baptismal covenant, yes to Jesus, yes to the Spirit, yes to God. And today, five young people, in a public manner, say yes. So where's Ethan? There's Ethan. And where's Grace? There's Grace. And Ian? Ian, and Kyle, and Taylor. Five young people today in our midst say yes to the calling to follow Jesus, and we bear witness to that calling, and we are here to support. You have helped and nurtured them to this point, 
and now take on a new responsibility of nurturing their faith even deeper. So this sermon actually is really for the five of you, and everybody else gets to listen. Some words to remember today. First from Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me out and known me. You know my rising up and my sitting down. You discern my thoughts from afar. You trace my journeys and my resting places and know them all together. Indeed, you know every word on my lips. When I was about four years old, we lived in Montreal. And my father was the rector of St. Stephen's Church in Westmount. And we lived in the old rectory. Right next door was this glorious, rambling, old Victorian house. And being small children, it was huge. And my older brother and I shared a bedroom. And late one evening, as I was sleeping, I was awakened. And I wasn't quite fully awake, and I was not quite fully asleep. It's that kind of liminal space, somewhere in between wakefulness and slumber. And I remember being deeply aware of light, but my eyes were closed. And the light was not coming from outside, it was coming from within. And I remember being deeply conscious of my breath, in and out, in and out, in and out. And for the first time in my young life, I was conscious, for the first time, that I was me that I was not my brother, that I was not my parents, that I was not my friend from down the road. I was uniquely me. And somehow in the breathing, I had a deep awareness that I was not alone, that there was another in the breath with me. And all the years later, I would, I would see that it was in fact God in the breath with me from a very tender age. You and I have numinous moments peppered throughout our lives, sometimes long and sometimes short, that always remind us that we are creatures of God, made in God's likeness and image, uniquely ours, and yet God is woven deeply, intimately, through us and with us. A God who knows us, It has been my experience since the age of four and now stepping into my seventh decade. Sometimes that's a hard reality to confront, that you're in your seventh decade. But it takes a lifetime to know yourself. And it takes a lifetime to truly know God. Or as Paul would say, now we see dimly. And one day we will see face to face. But in that knowing, in that journey, we strive to be known and to understand ourselves. And we share ourselves with others. We share our griefs, our sorrows, our hopes, our dreams, our gifts. We share intimately with some and not others. We share some things with a parent, a grandparent, a friend, a sibling a counselor, a coach. Sometimes we share the most intimate things with a perfect stranger on a plane. 
that sometimes we keep those parts of ourselves separate. And then we hear the psalmist say, Where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? If I make heaven my home, you are there. If I make the grave my dwelling place, you are there also. God in Psalm 139 reminds us, I know you. I know the whole of you. In fact, this psalm is a bit of a prayer from the psalmist who is finding him or herself in a very difficult place. They have had an injustice meted out against them. And the psalmist is pleading to God, save me, help me. You know me. You know my intentions. You know my goodness. You know my faith. Intercede and help me. We do that too. Week by week, day by day, we intercede and ask for God's presence in our lives in the night, in the day, in privacy, in worship. We intercede. There are parts of ourselves that we like better than other parts. Some parts we keep very private and very close by. Some parts we're embarrassed by. Some parts perhaps a little ashamed. And sometimes we keep those things at bay. And here's the trick or trickiness about being known by God. Sometimes we wish when we make big mistakes in our lives that just for a fleeting moment, God will have lost our street address and can't find us, just for a bit. But that's not how it works. In fact, it is in those crushing moments, those hurting moments, that God actually draws even closer and pines to know us. And sometimes we move as far away from our address so that we can hide ourselves. And that's often when we feel the most lost. And and my advice to all of you is don't stay away too long. Come back each time and to be reminded that our God is not one that is aloof and distant, but one who is intimate and close and loving and merciful, who teaches us the way of forgiveness and the way of mercy and of compassion. We also hear that strung through in our gospel reading this morning. When Jesus goes home for the first time, he has just been tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Three temptations, just like you and I. We live in a world that tries its level best to take the likeness and image of God within us and to separate us from God. And gives us that sense that we live in a world that that pushes down and diminishes and separates us. By our language, by the color of our skin, by our economic um, privilege. And Jesus always calls us back. God always calls us back. The Spirit always calls us back to know that we are made in the image of God continually. And God knows us. And Jesus goes home to his home synagogue for the first time, and he knew that space just as well as you know this space here. Week by week by week, being shaped and formed by Scripture and by prayer. And today he is the preacher. And he unrolls the scroll, and he reads the the words from Isaiah chapter 61. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the poor, freedom to the oppressed, recovery of sight for the blind, that the captive might go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. For those of us who have a long memory in in the Bible, that moment in Isaiah is the time when the people of Israel or people of Judah are heading home from exile. They have been away for a long time, and they have lost their memory and are regaining their memory for a God who longs for them and to rebuild an economy and a temple and to rebuild themselves in God's image. And the prophet says to rebuild in God's image is to take on and to help the most vulnerable, poor, blind, disenfranchised in our midst. And Jesus places him safely and securely in the same sandals. And to say that the way forward, Jesus' ministry, is to proclaim the same to the most vulnerable among us. It is the shortest sermon in history. The scripture you have heard has been fulfilled in your hearing. In that little phrase, Jesus is saying, it's now. Not tomorrow. Not the next day. Now. Now the Spirit breaks in. Now we are summoned to move. Now. Not to water it down. Not to simplify it. Now. To simply say yes to God. Yes. Sometimes it is we who are the poor and the disenfranchised. The ones without sight who have lost our way. And the prophet was speaking internally to a whole community that was trying to find their way home with God. And the same happens for us. So on this confirmation day, for the five of you, to remind you that God always calls us home, even when we feel a little lost. I have on my desk in my office a tiny little cross. It stands about yay high. It's made of wood. It has a little pedestal on the bottom, and it keeps coming separated, but I keep putting it back in. And it belonged to a friend of mine named Terry. I first met Terry outside Church of the Redeemer. He was panhandling for years to make ends meet. He he stood about five foot five. He had a toothless grin. He'd had a hard life. And he and I would start conversations and get to know each other. And then he would come into Church of the Redeemer, stop by to have a meal, um, and he'd go back out outside. And he would get to know people coming for church. He'd get to know people who were just going off to work. And one day he stepped into the back of the church and he just watched worship, just sat probably where Orban is, and he just watched the service and then he'd leave. And then one good Friday he stepped into the back of the church and at the end of worship he said, Father... I have asked God to help keep me sober. And many of us who know anything about sobriety, sometimes it's not a straight line. And he was um, at the corner sometimes, and sometimes he'd disappear. And I knew when he disappeared that he had fallen off the wagon. And then when he reappeared, we would just look at each other 
And he knew that I knew that he knew that I knew (laughs) that he knew that I knew. And we would always embrace each other. And I would say to him, one day at a time. Then one day he said, Father, I'd like to be baptized. And that started another long conversation in preparation. We did all the prep work on the street out in front of the church. And then one day on a Wednesday, he invited 15 people from the congregation who always stopped and had a conversation with him, who cared for him. And the 15 of us gathered around the font, and I will never forget that moment when we handed him that lit candle and said, "Um, how's it go again? (laughs) Let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. There was not a dry eye in that house. And he had a a smile on his face that his face could not contain. And we clapped and we clapped and we clapped. And then about a year and a half ago, I had word that he was dying. And would I come and see him? So I went into the hospital, Mount Sinai, got all, put on all the PPE. and, And we went and over a couple of visits, talked about life and death. And one day he said to me, I'm afraid. I said, what are you afraid of? He said, I have done some terrible things in my life. And I said, God has forgiven you. He said, I know that. But I still don't know what it's going to be like. And I said, Terry, do you remember your baptism? When we clapped for you? When you had a smile and the smile returned. And I said, I think it's going to be like that. From birth to death and every moment in between, God is with us and in us and through us. We have nothing to be afraid of. God in Christ transforms brokenness into new life. We have nothing to be afraid of. And on this wonderful day, five people proclaim with us, yes. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.